You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to the greatest show on earth. Hopefully... Everybody is excited about this weekend, as I am. There is nothing really special going on, except that my wife is super pregnant, and a baby could literally pop out if she sneezes. So, um, you know, just we are waiting. We are on standby for baby number three. But that's not why you came to this podcast. You came to this podcast to listen to related topics. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit of hunting. We're going to talk about fly fishing and this podcast takes a crazy turn and we start talking about natural disasters. And today our guest, Anthony Schoen, has lived through some experiences with natural disasters that a lot of people will never, ever live through. And, um, and we're not talking about hurricanes or tornadoes. We're talking about volcanic eruptions. <laughs> and I can't even, I, I don't even know how we, we got into that topic, but we talk about natural disasters for a little bit in, uh, in this podcast. It's pretty fun. It's pretty exciting. I had a great time doing it. We're going to be talking with Anthony Schoen and Anthony lives in Texas and he owns a tire company. Now, uh, he owns a company called Tread Right Tires, and he wants to share a discount code with you where you can buy these Tread Right Tires for a, a discounted price um, off of his website, treadright.com. And um, I think it's treadright.com. Yeah, it's treadright.com, T R E A D W R I G H T.com. And he's going to offer a discount if you guys are in the market for some kick ass truck tires. And he, he actually talks a little bit about uh, his company in this podcast as well. But it's a kick ass podcast. I'd call it a bull, a bullshit session. And I'd also call it a hunter profile uh, podcast. So it's a little, as always, it's a little mix of everything. But uh, yeah, that's what today's podcast is about. Um, I just want to take this opportunity and again review all of the discount codes that are available with the partners of this podcast. Now we have Wasp Broadheads, right? 
I'm shooting the 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 fixed blade boss four blade this year. I am really excited about it. Uh, and if you are looking to um, to purchase some wasp broadheads, go to wasparchery.com and enter the discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine, followed by the word fingers, and you will receive 20% off of your purchase. That's a really good discount. Uh, next is Ozonics. If you guys are interested in starting to use ozone in your, you know, in your scent regimen, uh, I talk about ozone all the time. I talk about ozonics all the time and how I really am a big fan of it. Again, use the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS. And you can receive $75 off of all orders over $399. So, again, that's a kick-ass discount as well. Deer Lab, right? Now's the time of year to start using Deer Lab. Um, take all your old trail camera pictures drop them into deer lab with this free 30 day uh, trial period and uh and uh try to forecast deer movement for this upcoming hunting season go to deerlab.com slash nine fingers and you can receive a 30 day uh free trial period the next one this is uh you know the guys who have been with me the longest the lift two camera is badass it is badass trail camera. Uh, they should be charging about five hundred dollars, four or five hundred dollars for this camera. But because they're direct to consumer, they get it for cheaper. And if you use the discount code Nine Fingers, that's the number nine followed by the word fingers, you will receive twenty dollars off of your trail camera purchase. Uh, that's a, a good little. Uh, that's a good discount for uh, for that trail camera, especially how kick ass it is. Uh, and then. Last but not least, go check out lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers. Be sure you enter your your name and your email address up for a giveaway, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers. And when you do that, you will receive a discount code. And that discount code is... 9FC50 and you will receive $50 off of all orders over $199. That's basically 25% off um, for a uh, for one of their tree stands. Uh, and as we all know, Lone Wolf tree stands are the best tree stand on the market. Other than that, go check out Gearhead and Ripcord as well as well as Bighorn Outfitters. Call those guys up, see if they have any openings yet for 2017, and to see about openings for 2018 hunting season if you're interested in taking a western trip. Now, all that out of the way, let's get into today's BS Session podcast with Anthony Schoen. All right, on the phone with me today, all the way from Texas is Anthony Schoen. How are you doing today, Anthony? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we started recording, you mentioned that you are from the Houston, Texas area. Is that correct? Yeah, I live in the uh, south side, uh, a suburb Friendswood, just south of Houston. Okay. So, any unless you've been living under a rock lately, Houston, South Texas just got hit by a really big storm, big hurricane hit landfall there. Um, how is everything down there right now? 
it's a lot what you're probably seeing on the news, uh, some significant displacement of families and that. But, uh, you know, the great thing about Houston is it's uh, for, a, for the fourth largest city in America, it's very family centric. Uh, Texans are a little bit like that. So people are rallying around each other, neighborhoods. You know, I mentioned before this uh, for this call that, you know, one third of all the homes in my city of Friendswood, Texas, uh, lost their uh, front or bottom level. Um, but people are doing a good job of supporting each other. And, uh, you know, Red Cross is doing a good job. And heck, even J.J. Watt, I think, uh, came up with about 15 million um, through uh, some of his relief efforts. Right, right. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw that guy. Uh, I think it's even more than that now. Uh, I saw. Oh, that. yeah. I mean, see, yeah. What was his goal? Like a couple million. And then he went over 10 and it's still growing. Oh, yeah. I think it was close to 50 mil the last time I checked. Oh, geez. That is just fantastic. Right. A lot of families down here uh, definitely need it for sure. Absolutely. Now, you know, obviously the media uh, shows the absolute worst of everything. So, I, I mean, is it is it what? you see on tv like everything's flat everything's wet um everything's completely underwater all the way to the roof yeah i mean you know that's they're probably sensationalizing that a little bit um my neighborhoods uh, are around this creek area and if you're in the a lot of the banks are in these low low areas my house personally happened to be on the high ground where our neighborhood was so we didn't get any water in but then, you know, a third of the houses, if you're down along those edges, yeah, you're, you're seeing homes where even on the roof went completely over. But again, you know, that's probably, you know, a third to, you know, maybe 10% of homes in certain areas. Uh, most of the city's pretty dry now. Uh, you can get around on all the major roads and the recovery efforts have uh, definitely begun. Right. Yeah. I see, uh, I saw a, a YouTube video the other day of some guy out in a John boat rescuing possums and armadillos down there uh, that were <laughs> that were stranded. So, um, do you happen to know or have seen or hear anything about? Let's you know because there's a lot of deer in Texas. Have you heard anything about uh, how this has affected the wildlife down there? Um, you know, you know, a lot of places because of the pockets of where it was, they were able to displace um, and move into dry zones, kind of like what we talked about earlier. There's spots where it was really bad, right. but you know, there was also a higher ground where they could get to. Um, definitely some, you know, situations that definitely weren't positive, but not a, a widespread disaster or anything for wildlife. Um, gotcha. But you, I can tell you from personal experience, the boats from everything from, you know, armadillos to people was how you got around in, in my area, at least for two or three days. You, right. you didn't leave your, go out your front door unless you were in a raft, uh, canoe or some kind of paddle boat. Right. Right. When I lived down in Alabama, uh, in Georgia, uh, certain parts of, uh, those, those States didn't have basements is, up here in Iowa, where I'm from, uh, we got basements in our houses. Uh, are there basements in Texas? Uh, in certain parts, but definitely not around the uh, Houston area, for sure. Gotcha. Is that strictly because the water table is so high, or, or specific reasons like this, or just no no, no need for basements? Uh, water tables are pretty high. 
yeah. is most of it in the ground. In, in Houston, they talk about, you know, it, you're going to have foundation problems. It's just a matter of when. Right. Uh, so, yeah, you. I'm from originally from Lincoln, Nebraska, so I know what you mean. That uh, <laughs> Yeah, every, all the houses there have some kind of basements. Uh, right. If anything, just to try to get a good wall during tornado season. Right, right. Now, you mentioned something pretty cool at the beginning of – you know, when we, before we even started recording and it was that there was a lot of people working together and the media and just like everybody right now is so against everybody else, right? You got the conservatives against the Democrats and, you know, or the liberals and, and everybody hates everybody now, but this, this hurricane came through and you mentioned that, you know, you're, you're, able to see the real America. Talk to us a little bit about what, what that is. Yeah, that's a very, you know, Houston is, is well known for being a, a melting pot of America. I think the city is about 50, 50 in terms of being want to look at minority demographics. So there's quite a, um, you know, difference, like you said, in terms of the spectrum of politics. But one thing that just gets amazing in these times is, you know, when in our marketing leader here, actually him and his family had a couple of boats and they were rescuing people for two days and uh, neighborhoods, you know, because if you ever gone through your neighborhood during political season, uh, you know, there was definitely, a, you know, there's a Hillary sign and there's a Trump sign this year or and they go all the way down the blocks, even in Texas, which is a notoriously red state. But, you know, when it comes time to just generally helping people and volunteers and the families and people, neighbors, I had neighbors to the left of me that didn't have two stories uh, that were staying with my neighbors to the right. Everybody had opened up their, you know, not just from a helping standpoint, but were literally putting people up during these right. two or three days. And and to your point, politics doesn't come up in that. Yes, we all have our opinions. Uh, right. Some are stronger than others. Uh, but what is really nice about that is, is for a city like Houston to kind of come together and, uh, it basically just goes away for a while. And, right. and it, as all of, you know, the political stream of the U S the last six or seven months, it's actually nice to take a nice refreshing breather from that and just sort of, you know, in all that chaos, live a, a subdued two or three days of kindness. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's pretty out of, uh, I guess it's a, a silver lining to the dark cloud, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, definitely don't want to see Harvey come back again uh, <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Uh, but those from the Midwest and you and I, you know, that experienced tornadoes and, and things like that. And you, know, you don't have to be in a coastline to get the worst of it. Um, it is really nice. It does bring out the best in people, you know, just when you think it's, it's too ugly to bear. Uh, the human conscious does show itself and in a right. good way most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what do you, what do you do for a living down there in, in Houston? Um, well, Treadwright Tires uh, is my company and we manufacture light truck and SUV tires, all train and mud train, kind of like what, you and myself and everybody that's ever hunted or fished or backpacked or went out as some outdoor enthusiast has on their vehicles. So you can get in and out of the off-road uh, country and tread rights unique that we're the one of only two companies that recycle tires. Um, and we do that all in the U S 
uh, U.S. manufacturing. And the great thing is we do it about half or 60% less than name brand tires. Gotcha. So, yeah, I got a couple questions on that because after you mentioned, you know, where you worked, I went and looked online. And that's kind of a unique uh, a unique point about your company, recycled tires. So how does that actually work? I mean, how do you recycle a tire to make a new tire? Well, what we do is uh, the recycling companies all throughout the U.S., we get tires from the main distributors. So uh, most of you guys on, you know, that are listening here probably have 35, 20s on your uh, jacked up vehicles, uh, mud trains. And when they wear down, uh, Toyo, Nitto, Michelin, Goodyear, we buy them back from the recyclers. And what we do is we remold them. So we buff them all the way down to the casing level. But what's unique about Treadride is we remold, we don't retread. So we don't glue on tread or anything like that. We wrap kind of a soft mold cure compound around it, put it in the same press that makes a new tire, and they come out one at a time, brand new, sidewalls already done, read Treadright uh, with our brands, and then we resell them back out uh, in the lower 48 states. Amazon, Walmart carries our tires. Uh, we have our own website as well. So. Um, but basically just all, all terrain, mud train tires for light truck and SUVs, uh, that, you know, people listening to here and me and you all drive every day. Right. Right. So the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear recycled tires is I, you know, and, and just the brief description of how you did that, my mind automatically goes to man are, is are these safe to to drive on obviously obviously they are because you're selling them but but uh do they last as long as regular tires too oh yeah um you know not only is the nice recycling component because we use six gallons instead of 18 gallons of oil by reusing the casing um it keeps all those tires out of your lakes streams and landfills you know, uh, that you're hunting and traveling on. Um, but the other thing is that they're DOT approved. We have our own DOT number that's stamped on every sidewall. Um, 80% of all of the commercial airlines, emergency response vehicles, school buses around the U S they have all a remolded or retreaded product on them. Uh, so yeah, the DOT has already done enough studies over 30 or 40 years, uh, that has the same, defect rate as a new tire as well gotcha now that's one thing that a lot of outdoor you know outdoorsmen sportsmen you know hunters whatever fishermen we overlook for a piece of hunting gear is our truck right um and and our tires why why do you guys strictly focus on uh, you know off-road vehicles for for your tires and not like cars? Well, one of the things is that um, the price difference on a 35, 12 and a half, 20 Nitto tire is like $400. You know, you can get a Falcon car tire for 50 or $60. Right. So in order to go get the casing, recycle it and go through the process uh, from a money standpoint, there's really nothing there uh, that makes the process worthwhile. But the the big tires you know that have all of that rubber on it um is a huge difference like like i said it's 400 450 for a nitto we use their casings 
is one of our primary components. Our 3520 is like $189. So you're talking about a difference of up to $1,000 in set savings uh, with Treadrite. And you asked me before about the, uh, the wear of the tire as well. Well, we get the, the same tread rubber that goes into the local U.S. manufacturing plants like Goodyear and Michelin. So our all-terrains get 40,000, 45,000 miles. Right. And that's comparable to uh, the name brand tires as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, all of our casings are made, you know, I used to work at Goodyear, love the company, love their product. Um, you can't actually remold a Chinese tire. That's uh, what a lot of people don't realize is because their casing walls and everything are so thin, uh, they'll actually explode in our presses, come apart. That you have to use a, a tier one quality product to remake a tread right tire with those same characteristics. So what you're what you're telling me is that it's your your product is recycled and made in America. Uh, it's just as durable as the name brand companies and it's cheaper. Yeah, absolutely. The bigger ones, like I said, will save you as much as a thousand dollars. And again, when you're, uh, going through an outfit and, uh, gas vehicle, travel expenses, you know, ammo, everything that's required, especially on, you know, for your elk hunting crowd. Um, it's nice to be able to have that money that you can apply to your trip rather than, uh, a set of tires when with the tread right you'll get the uh same wear and tear, tear and quality but at a significantly less price yeah it's that's kind of funny you know you say uh saving a thousand dollars and that's kind of cool because saving a thousand dollars on tires means you can go on you know obviously if the wife allows you to uh the, <laughs> the out-of-state the out-of-state mule deer or elk hunt or, you know, second whitetail hunt of the year. That's, you know, that sounds like it's pretty good savings. Is that, is that average? Um, yeah, it depends on the quality of tire, um, you know, but it, or the size. So some will be as much as two or $300 a set in like a 265, 75, 16, not to bore you with some sizes versus a 35, 12 and a half, 20 mud terrain. So they'll vary depending on the size of vehicle that you have. Uh, some folks don't go as much off-roading, so they have an all-terrain, and they're obviously less expensive than a mud train, but uh, obviously a better ride gotcha. in terms of noise and that for those that drive around on mud trains uh, on the highway to and from their trips. Right. They howl Absolutely. a little bit. Okay. Well, tires, right? That's, uh, that's what you do for a living. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're pretty proud of uh, like what we do down here for that. We try to uh, do as much as we can to educate the public and you know meet great folks like you that are out there um, driving in our type of applications to let people know about it. Because we, we really do make an effort as an environmental company to try to keep these casings and that out of the streams. There's nothing worse than fishing or hiking or hunting through you know, this beautiful uh, countryside and then you got three tires you know, in a stream or river. Um, right. We do the best we can to keep that out of there, but then also get that back, um, you know, into the uh, communities through our product. Right, right. Now, when when uh, we communicated, uh, you, we, yeah, I can't talk right now. I, I am, <laughs> I was told that you were on a trip 
in Montana recently uh, because I wanted mm-hmm. to set this uh, podcast up earlier, but uh, you were on a some on a fly fishing trip. Is that right? Yeah, and like you said, you know, uh, with family and kids, uh, I don't have to get out there as much as I'd like, but uh, I make sure I set some time every year to go to Ennis, Montana, a little bit south of Bozeman, north of Yellowstone, right. and uh, we try to uh, get out and do a, a good pheasant hunt and also do some fly fishing on the Madison down there. Uh, you know, can't really go out for weeks at a time on the deep, deep elk hunt. Uh, a lot of friends out in Oregon uh, get their camps set up and, and do some quality time. Uh, but for me, I can get them in and out of there. I've got a 13-year-old son that just learned to shoot a little bit. So uh, that's something we can wander around and take care of pretty easily. Nice, nice. Plus, the being the CEO of a big company, you're probably uh, – you don't get the- – the the term CEO, it's like if you're the CEO, you're probably not taking as much vacation as you would assume a CEO gets. <laughs> yeah, and you actually link them up. So we've got a, a, a decent supplier, MES, out of the area that does a lot of recycling in Montana. So I link up usually those things oh, like okay. key suppliers, <laughs> uh, and then we'll we'll pick them up and then. You know, the family will go to a place, I'll go work for a while, and then I swing back in because it, you know, it, it is, a you know, one of those seven-day-a-week type jobs because the plant's always running. Right. Um, but like you said, we try to get out as much as we can uh, for a little relaxation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about this uh, fly fishing trip and this pheasant hunt. Do you f- fly fish and pheasant hunt all on the same trip? Yeah, we, we actually bring uh, our some of our vendors and stuff out there at different times. We call it the cast and blast. Gotcha. Um, so usually you spend a day or so, uh, depending on their wants and needs on with, who you're with. But we try to get out and uh, get on the Madison and do floats right. uh, with the guides because you can see a little bit more of the train. And then there's a cabin down there where you can get down and then uh, get the waders on and walk through a little bit. Uh, but as I was telling you before the call, it was it was August. We couldn't get out there in uh, June when the hatches were, were booming. Uh, but, you know, you could still run a good print snip down there and you'd have to kind of fish towards the bottom. But uh, they're hungrier, so you do get to catch a few more of the bigger brown trout. Uh, I think my son won this year with a 20-inch brown out of the Madison, which is uh, – a decent fish for, for that river. Right. So why fly fishing? Why, when you head up to Montana, do you, do you take, uh, this, that time of year to do fly fishing? You know, um, also before the call, you, you mentioned that, uh, you, you're not necessarily a big time hardcore hunter, like most of the, uh, the listeners of this podcast, but you do gravitate towards fly fishing. Why is that? Um, you know, I, as a kid, you know, being able, you know, and you know a little bit about this too, being from Nebraska and catfishing and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, for me, it's really interesting to see the fish come up and get bait which I thought was just fascinating when I first learned how to fly fish Um, and how you're just active with the uh, rod and reel placing it, you know, kind of keeping me busy as I'm wandering down the the stream. Uh, And I really like that aspect of it. That's why I said, I, 
I lamented a little bit I couldn't get down there in June when you could put the big flies on. But just seeing the fish come up and get stuff uh, a little bit different than, let's say, some of the salmon fishing that uh, I had also done. I spent some time out in Washington State, um, where my wife is from. And, you know, a lot of times we'd go out there and throw it out there, put the bell on, wait for the bell to ring and reel them up. Uh, so it was just a little more active for me. Not that it's better or worse, but kind of have just a different feel to it. Right. So I picked up a fly rod earlier this summer. I'd say maybe even springtime. And uh, I played around with it for a while. And just because of time, put it back, you know, put it down and off to the side. But it, it's something that I'm definitely intrigued with. How long did it take you once you said, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to be a fly fisherman. Did it take for you to be good casting a fly rod? Oh, uh, shoot. Tried to fly fishing about 10 years ago. And I think I'm decent until I see the guides work. (laughs) So kind of one of those things where you realize, uh, you're, you're still sort of a, a C minus, <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh, you know, back to the, back to the working too much and not having it close enough. But yeah, it took me a couple of trips. Um, my daughter, we just nicknamed her tangled. Uh, she's 13 and she gives it her best every year too. But yeah, it is a bit technical, you know, with their double cast and how they can, you know, catch so many more distances and find so much more spots than, than I can, but it took a couple of trips and I'd say for me, maybe that's just due to my talent level, but, uh, right. Yeah. It took a good 10, 20 hours for me out there where I was actually comfortable. Right. So you take a yearly trip up there to, you know, in, uh, to Montana from Texas, does Texas offer any fly fly fishing type adventures, I guess, or anything down there for, for for Um, fly rod? You know, since we've just relocated down here, um, I haven't found a whole lot. The a couple of Arkansas rivers, when I worked for Goodyear, we were a little closer up there. They've got some good fly fishing um, yeah. up there and some better duck hunting, obviously, over towards uh, Beaumont and around in those areas uh, are pretty good on that side. But, yeah, I haven't found it so much, so we've been doing it uh, through trips. And then everybody can sit down and spend three, four or five days doing it. Right. Right. So where did you guys relocate from? Um, Goodyear's commercial division is actually based in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Oh, okay. Um, And just a wonderful company, wonderful people. Um, So I was uh, with them for many years. And then when uh, I bought Treadrite with some partners, came down here. Uh, to sort of launch this new product line, we went from Portsmouth, Arkansas to Friendswood, Texas, just south gotcha. of Houston. Okay. So fly fishing, do you, do you get to the Gulf at all and do any fishing down in the Gulf? Um, I have not got down there with my son yet. Uh, that's something he's wanting to get into now that we're by the ocean. Yeah. Um, once they get out and see what the, uh, the Gulf has to offer. Um, but I'm going to have to uh, check here. I don't know. Do you get a lot of national looks through your site? We were looking through your Facebook page and that, but I'm going to have to have someone to give me some uh, rundown through the Gulf, but we haven't done anything down there yet. Man, I don't know. 
I mean, I'm sure there's there's a lot of guys who listen to this podcast from Texas. So if you're a listener from Texas, comment on this Facebook page so uh, Anthony knows where to go to for some good fishing. But uh, I know uh, the guys from Ozonics every once in a while will hit the golf and do some fishing down there. Um, have you – I know – you said you're more of a, a pheasant and fly fisherman and you have a lot of these time constraints, but a majority of the people who listen to this podcast are uh, whitetail hunters. H- has that mm-hmm. ever crossed your mind? Um, I did a little bit um, years ago because it's so, so popular in Oregon, Washington. Right. Um, but uh, just didn't have the time to really invest. Right. Uh and those guys spent a lot of time out there. I always say that they were the diligent, you know, because a lot of folks that I had saw, and, you know, this group of folks on your, on your podcast knows them, you know, drive around in their truck and, you know, shoot out windows kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Oregon, Washington was where I realized these guys are very, very serious because uh, yeah. they go out, especially elk season, and they're out seven, eight days, you know, and you go out and truly embrace it. Um, so I was just, uh, a, a reward of their elk jerky. Um, but yeah, I just couldn't get out and spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, probably not a great shot either. You know, pheasant as those know is a little easier to point and shoot. Um, so probably why I found more success doing that as well. Right. Right. So go to Montana, you do some fly fishing every year. Um, is it typically on the same river and what fish are you you after every time you go on these trips you know if, if if you ever get a chance or um get the opportunity to be in, in ennis montana on the madison uh trout stalkers is a great place and you know it's essentially catch and release uh rainbow and brown trout your bigger ones tend to be the brown trout uh and you'll get anything from you know 10 to 24 inches and just a beautiful fish, great fighters, wonderful, you know, strip and reel area. So if anybody ever gets a chance or wants to pin one place to actually do that, it's a, it's a blue ribbon part of the country. Uh, I think Ennis, maybe 300 people, 400 people south of Bozeman. Right. Uh, but, you know, just a great experience uh, for a hunter fisherman for sure. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Obviously, there's fly fishing all over the U.S. Do you have any more fly fishing, uh, I guess, adventures on your radar that you haven't done yet but want to do someday? Um, you know, I'm being from uh, the Northwest before relocating to, to Goodyear, uh, I spent some time a little bit. I learned to actually fly fish in Bend, Oregon. Uh, but that's where I went through my first 20 hours of trying to figure out what the heck I was doing. Um, I'd like to get back up there and actually do some, some fly fishing there. A beautiful, beautiful area of the country. Um, so I'd like to take what I've learned there on the Madison and then take it back to Bend, Oregon. Nice. So your, your wife is from Washington state, right? Yeah. Snohomish, uh, okay. north of Seattle. North of Seattle. Okay. So my wife and I went to Wibley Island. Do you know where that's at? I do. I had a phone, a, a home on Fox Island, okay, uh, which is south of there, but a lot of crabbing, and we had a boat up in that general area. So yeah, I know exactly where that is. 
right? So I, I, then you know you only you can only take a ferry to get there, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we had uh, we went there for a wedding, and then we were there for several days. My, we did some uh, of what my you know my wife wanted to do, which is basically sit at a winery and drink wine. So we did a lot of that, and then one day we went to the um, Olympia. I think are they the Olympic Mountains or the Olympian Mountains? Olympia, the Olympics. Oh, yeah. 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 So that I'll tell you what, that is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Uh, Northwest up there, man, that's so gorgeous. Yeah. You won't find a better place to spend your summers because it's 85, 88 degrees with no humidity. Right. Uh, right. And from July and August, it's just eight weeks of glory. It's a, little, it's a little wet in February in the rainforest down there, but uh, you catch the two summer months and it doesn't get much better than that. So I got to tell you a quick story. Uh, we went, we were on this uh, ferry, right? And um, it was for some, it wasn't a holiday weekend, but it, it was a festival weekend where all the islands had these certain festivals that would happen and traffic to and from them. Yeah. Uh, was crazy so you which we didn't know and you had to have a scheduled ferry ride right and we did not Mm -hmm. have a scheduled ferry ride so um, we had to leave the car overnight from Wibbly Island to the which is the peninsula it would be the mainland I and there is a small town there and I cannot remember what the name of this town is but I had to go I had to get dropped off at the ferry, go back across, get the car, and then get in line. But the line was so long I could park, and I went to this this restaurant, and I I wish I knew the name of this town, but it had literally the best cup of coffee that I have ever drank in my entire life (laughs) in this this town where the ferry landed. And so – Kind of a boring story, but uh, well, no that 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 is a very interesting story because there is a my in laws um, work and this is two generations have worked at a place called Bar Greens Coffee, okay, and that is a staple or the little sister of Starbucks uh, that's out there, but actually a little bit older, maybe almost a seventy or eighty year company. It could have been Bar Greens Coffee. It's and not to give them a plug here, but those that are out there, it is uh, arguably, but probably one of the best uh, coffee places in Washington State. Right, right. Okay, I'm I'm actually on Google Map right now. Okay, so the name of I hope the... it is because I'm going to get a lot of points with my in laws on this one. <laughs> this be fantastic. I the name of the town that I was in was called Port Townsend. Does that ring a bell? Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that that is where I had my the best cup of coffee I've ever had in my entire life was in Port Townsend, Washington, right in the I guess it's called the Puget Sound area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the best places to uh, crab for those at boats. A lot of Dungeness crab, right? Uh, that's out that way. Right. The guy whose wedding we went to, uh, him and his uh, dad did a lot of crabbing. Uh, on that, uh, in there. Uh, and I guess the tide plays a big role in that where, um, you go, you drop your bait, the tide comes up, 
and then you know a handful of hours later the tide goes back down you grab your your crab baskets and then whatever's in there you boil them up and eat them is did you do a lot of that at all oh yeah that's actually probably what i spent 80 percent of my time on my boat doing other than just sitting out and relaxing and Right. hanging out with friends, but you go out and that's exactly what you do. You drop your crab pots in the morning or early afternoon. Uh, usually you could do it over a four or six hour period. And then, uh, you know, you, they've got just floating buoys on them. You go back and pick them back up. And a lot of times we do it right there on the boat. Uh, Cause with a little propane, you can do your crab boil right there. Right. Um, or you could take them in from there, but yeah, especially around Whidbey Island. Uh, and some of the areas from there north are just, uh, you know, five-star dining Dungeness Crab all the way through the Puget Sound on the north side. Right. Um, and it was kind of cool because on Wibley Island, where we stayed, they have a population of wild rabbits but they are the pet wild rabbits. So they're like that's right. That's red right. and black and brown and white. They're just all these random colors, but something happened somewhere along the, the, the way where some pet rabbits got loose and now they're all over the, the Island. They're, they're wild, but they look tame. Like they're at, like a pet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Libby is a very, very casual, unique, interesting place. Right, right. I feel like, I feel like Wibley Island was where a lot of the hippies from the '60s went to retire. Uh, that's pretty accurate. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, very relaxed, uh, unique culture. Um, but yeah, like you said, you won't won't find nicer folks. And but yeah, very, very low key out in that area of the country for sure. When you went out and uh, were doing your crabbing, did you ever run into any whales? Um, yeah, I've actually got uh, a good story about that. Uh, south of Whidbey, you get uh, in the Fox Island, Gig Harbor area. Okay. And what was interesting, which is really, really rare to be down that far, but we were in uh, the Bay of Gig Harbor, and I had a friend of mine's son who wanted to snowboard. And I've got a 22-foot cuddy cabin, which we use for crabbing and runabout. And then I had uh, a, a bay liner that was like a 42-footer, but we had this small speedboat. So he went out wakeboarding, and we were just getting ready to pull him in, and a killer whale actually surfaced out, an orca, yeah. um, about maybe 20 yards off where he was riding. <laughs> Uh, needless to say, uh, that was the last of his Puget Sound wakeboarding experience. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't get a chance to see any, uh, any other whales other than that, but I did get to see a killer whale orca actually surface, uh, off the starboard side of my boat, which was pretty cool now, Cooler for me than him, but <laughs> right, right. That guy, that guy probably crapped his drawers. Um, yeah, I don't Mr. know what Trek would probably never the same. <laughs> I don't know what would scare me more. You hear these guys having encounters with like these giant grizzly bears while they're elk hunting, or you know, a casual wakeboarding adventure turns into you're scared shitless when you know the one of the best killers in all of the ocean surfaces twenty yards from you. Yeah, I. I've, I've had two grizzlies on a bridge a hundred yards from us in Denali in uh, 
Alaska. We went up there to hike uh, Denali Park, Mount McKinley. Right. And uh, they, you know, they send you through bear training. Those that have been up there, they walk you through everything, the triangle, your campground, the usual stuff. Um, but there were a couple of grizzly bears, a hundred yards on the other side of this bridge. And it was a drop point. And we get out there and, uh, I thought it was the most interesting because the driver's looking at us and now we're accomplished backpackers, not maybe as rugged as some of those, uh, that listen to the podcast, but we're fairly accomplished Pacific crest trail folks. You know, we spent three or four days out there, but we're still looking at this driver. Like you're going to, you're going to wait till they leave. Right. There's a bus full of people and they're dropping them <laughs> off all over that area. And she's like, no, get out. Right. You know, the drill stand together. Um, but yeah, so the four of us got off and put our arms together. So you looked bigger, you know, if I remember right. the videos or folks that have done this and, and we just stood there, the bus drove off, you know, the Grizzlies hung out on a hundred yards on the other side. Um, and you know, meandered around and then finally left. But, yeah, it was one of those things, kind of like the orcas, you know, but it was saying, hey, now get in the water. It was like, what? Right. You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah. Watch out for grizzlies. We were, yeah, we were a little green to the Denali adventure that we were having there. But uh, yeah, they just drop you off. They're like, well, welcome to Alaska. This is what you're going to experience. And no, we're not going to wait for them to leave. Get out. Next right. stop. <laughs> right. Right. Now, Washington or in Seattle and Wibley Island, almost everywhere you go, you can see either Mount Baker or Mount Rainier, right? Did, did you ever, have you, did you ever have any experience climbing those two peaks? Cause the, in, the, the second I landed in Seattle, I was looking around, man, I want to go there. Obviously time didn't allow, but, uh, I, I definitely wanted to, you know, get up at, to some higher elevation if it was possible. Yeah, I actually, uh, on Mount Baker, I, I spent most of my time snowboarding up there because that's one of the local places to right. ride. Um, so that was all winter, but we have hiked and actually a backpack with my kids when they were little, uh, maybe up to seven, 8,000 feet on Rainier. But it, Rainier is a very difficult mountain to summit. Uh, yeah. It's where some of the even Everest climbers train. It's a yeah. very, very technical climb. Um, so it definitely at the lower elevations there. And then as we summited South sister, which is Oregon, which is a, a one day summit down that way. So, uh, great, great for us when we lived on Fox Island is we actually had a view of Rainier, um, out our bedroom window at the time, which is right. really great when it obviously was an overcasty in Washington, but, um, yeah, just beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, if I can summited up Mount St. Helens. Uh, snowboarded down that um, Baker and then uh, South sister and Rainier. Uh, but at the lower elevations there, cause we were carrying around three year olds at that time. Right. Now I got a question for you. How old are you? Um, I am now 47. Wow. I had to think about that. That's not good. What, um, what year did Mount St. Helen interrupt? Uh, 1980. Okay. So you were definitely around for that. Yeah, I, my parents are truck drivers. I was actually in Spokane, Washington when it blew. Okay. Um, and so it's kind of funny I got into tires. My dad always joked when I went to Goodyear that I didn't have to go to college for that. I could have just joined the family business. Um, <laughs> but, 
yeah, we were out there just on a general run in that summer and it blew. And if it, those that remember it or that are older have watched the videos, maybe that saw it, it all blew east across the state. Yeah. So we were actually stranded in Spokane for four or five days because they had the, you know, all the diesel engines, they had to cover up all the pipes and make sure they weren't bringing in that dust right. and exhaust. But we were on the highway. I, as a 10 year old kid, I thought the world was coming to an end. Because I'd never seen it get dark in the middle of the day. Wow. Like maybe a tornado storm in Nebraska. But, uh, yeah, 1980. And, unfortunately, I was actually there. So, did that scare the shit out of a lot of people? Yeah, it was really kind of a weird time. Uh, you know, because it, it you just had never seen anything like that. You know, those that had been through tornadoes or hurricanes or the standard stuff, you see it. Right? You've seen it on the news. You know what to expect. Even when it's hitting you in Houston, you kind of know what it was. But I remember uh, the panic, you know, around me at the time. It was just even a kid that literally as a 10-year-old kid, I was walking out in front of a semi-truck at 15 or 16 paces and was trying to look for the yellow off so we could get off the road because it just covered everything. You know, it looked like a nuclear holocaust. Um, yeah, much, much different, kind of eerie, because you just don't have any, you know, volcanoes don't blow uh, in the United States, right? Or that right. there's a lot of footage or information on. Right. So, question. You lived in Nebraska, and mm-hmm. you've probably had some kind of experience with tornadoes. I mean, everybody in the Midwest at some point has some type of experience with tornadoes. You've, you've actually been in the path of a volcanic eruption and you now have lived through a hurricane down in texas out of all those three what's the scariest oh mount st helens for sure 1980 that was terrible (laughs) or it could be that i was just 10 and was losing my mind right but yeah in terms of what i've seen and you know, like the middle of the day watching the world go dark. Yeah. Mount St. Helens was definitely the a significant one for me, but right. it could be age, but that <laughs> one, uh, uh, I, I never forgot the, the details of that day are still very, very vivid. Um, 37 years later. Right, man. That is crazy. So it's almost like the world is trying to get you. Yeah. You know, well, the good news <laughs> is, um, is I've had a lot of experiences and, Somebody's definitely watching over me. There's a, there's a wonderful force in the universe that likes to show me things, but um, allows me to talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that, man. That's crazy. So what else? I mean, anything else cool happen in your life? Um, wow, we, you, you're a great uh, interview. You pretty much hit, hit most of the highlights. Uh, hopefully... Um, <laughs> You know, my life gets a lot simpler and we can just uh, make these great uh, all-terrain and mud-terrain tires for the hunter fishermen out there. And we get some stability and definitely what we're doing for sure. Nice. So you're, as far as you're concerned, you're done with natural disasters, right? Yeah, I think I'm good uh, <laughs> at this point. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm due for some sunny, kind weather for sure. Perfect. Perfect. Now, before we, uh, we split here, um, 
you mentioned you were going to offer some kind of a discount to the listeners of this podcast. Yeah. For those that uh, found our wonderful uh, hunting and environmental and travel stories interesting, and maybe you're in the uh, the time of year where you're going to need some mud train or all train tires for your uh, Jeeps and four by fours and pickup trucks. Um, we're going to load uh, nine finger 10. That's N I N F I N G E R one zero. So it's a coupon code that we're just going to put for just this podcast. And for those listening that need tires over the next uh, couple months, plug that into the website and, uh, We'll get you the most uh, rugged environmental light truck tire in the market, but uh, hopefully save you that up to $1,000 plus 10%. Perfect. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Well, I tell you what, Anthony, I really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast today, and uh, good luck with uh, everything else. All right. Hey, thanks for so much for having us, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing what you all think of uh, – Texas fishing and that. I'm going to be checking out the Facebook page. So I look forward to your thoughts. Perfect. And there you have it. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Anthony for coming on the show, talking a little bit about his business, talking about fly fishing in Montana and uh, living through natural disasters. That's always a good topic. Anthony also wanted me to let you know that he is offering a discount code to the Nine Finger Chronicles listeners for Treadright Tires. Uh, go to treadright.com and uh, you can save 10% by entering the discount code Nine Fingers One Zero, and that's spelled out N I N E F I N G E R S One Zero, and uh, you can save 10% on some kick-ass tires. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Wasp, Ozonix, Deer Lab, Exodus, Lone Wolf, Gearhead, Ripcord, and Bighorn Outfitters. Thank you guys for your support because with your support, uh, that allows me to do what I'm doing today and I really appreciate that. And last and definitely not least, big, big shout out to everyone who listens to these podcasts everyone who's downloaded uh, the podcast um, thank you for being patient and uh, you know the mass uploads of all the land and legacy podcast thank you very much it's safe to start uh, subscribing again and downloading again and um, and check me out on social media Facebook Instagram Twitter check me out check out the website ninefingerchronicles.com and uh, other than that, guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. It, it, it's deer season. That means a lot of us are in tree stands. So please have a good weekend and wear your damn safety harness.